Welcome to the Mile Hi-Fi Podcast. I am Carl Jensen, and I am with my co-host... Doug Cunnington. And we're with, uh, we're actually at Camp FI Rocky Mountain. It's, uh, what day is it, Saturday? You lose track of days when you're retired, but we're with three other people. If you're watching on YouTube, we're having a panel. So with the three people, our three guest hosts want to introduce themselves, starting with the one on my right, right here. I'm Josh Overmeyer. I'm Lynn Frere. And I'm Ray uh, from Waffles on Wednesday. Awesome. Yeah, so the format for today is I'm going to open this beer right now because I need something to drink. And we have questions that were submitted by the fine live audience right here. Uh, they're cheering right now. Oh, yeah! Yeah! Oh! We have no clue what these questions are. There's even babies here, which is crazy. This is nuts. What could possibly go wrong? So Carl's going to read the question, and then we're going to answer. We have no clue what they are, and they may not even be fire-related. In fact, I'm a little bit afraid that most of them are not. So what do we have? Okay. Yeah, Doug, our first one is about real estate. And it is, is too much real estate really passive, assuming you have plenty of stopgaps? So do we have any real estate fans on our panel who would like to take this one? While they're thinking, I am not a real estate fan. I'm a little lazier and I have very little interest in buying, managing, looking at property. I barely like living in it. So I'm not a huge fan. So I don't have a a huge opinion. So any other thoughts? Anyone into or out of? Yeah, this is Lynn. So I am very into passive investing, which is why I have not bought rental properties. So I went right into syndications. Syndications is when people pool a bunch of money together, a bunch of investors go in, collectively have money. The general partners do the active management and the limited partner, which is what I do, uh, tries to pick the right general partner and then we get a, a check. And so I think that's the closest you can get to passive investing with real estate and that's the route I took. Um, but I call it front-loaded effort in- income rather than passive because it's effort beforehand. Awesome. Carl, did you do you have any thoughts? Because you're pretty deep into real estate, right? Yeah, we have never owned a bunch of anything like single family homes or anything like that. But from the people who I know, if you're going to have a bunch of real estate and want it to be passive, what you do is hire people to manage it for you. Uh, so you're going to take a you're not going to make as much money, but you're going to have a property management company that's going to take care of take care of your calls, and you won't have to answer the call at three in the morning when you're clients or when your tenants flush rocks down the toilet or anything like that, which I think is, has that actually happened? I don't know. You always hear these horror stories, but it's probably happened at least once, right? Yeah. Sure. I'm sure. Okay. Geez. I took a look at the next question and these don't get any easier. And uh, I have pretty crappy eyes. I'm 47, so I might misread it and make it them even harder than they're supposed to be. I brought my readers here. Uh, But okay. The next one is about hyperinflation. The Fed is printing money like, and I can't, what's the, can you read that next word? Weimar. Like Weimar. Weimar. Is that, that must be said. German, German World War One, where they had the hyperinflation. Uh, okay. Deutsche Mark. So the Fed is printing money like Weimar, Germany. What are the common techniques to prepare for hyperinflation? I'm so glad I'm um, reading these and not, I don't feel primary responsible for answering them. So have at it. Who wants to take this one? 
I would say the uh, the best hedge against hyperinflation is to own assets, uh, hard assets. And that doesn't really matter what it is. It's not necessarily hard assets. I guess even like equities and things of that nature will also inflate as prices inflate. So as long as you're not in cash, you're probably going to be okay is my guess. But yeah, you know, we're talking about hard al- assets and I'm drinking hard alcohol and I haven't drank much alcohol for quite some time at <laughs> this high altitude. So it seems like a good time to talk about hyperinflation. So one of the things that I think about with inflation or hyperinflation is one of the best ways to mitigate it is to really not rely so much on your expenditures. So if you don't have a lot of regular expenditures, you're not as affected by the cost rising. So that's one way to mitigate an inflationary time. But yes, we're printing a lot of money that drives, you know, decreases the value of the U.S. dollar. And I I am personally expecting a bit of that. But really, there's a lot of sort of control we can have in terms of how we manage inflation and hyperinflationary periods. Yeah. And one thing a lot of people would probably suggest is uh, buying assets like precious metals. Historically, gold and silver and other precious metals have kind of kept up with inflation throughout history, you know, thousands of years. So that's another option. Okay. This next one is a little bit strange and I kind of feel weird about reading it, but I'm going to go for it anyway. I wonder who put this one in the box. Carl and Doug, you are two very handsome dudes. Please tell us your beauty secrets. Okay. Wow. Okay. I I put that one in the box so that doesn't count. Uh, The real question is, should you find your purpose post FI or is that goal not applicable to everyone? So I'm really not sure what they're trying to ask. Are they trying to ask if you should do it pre-FI or post-FI? Let's go with that assumption. Okay. Yeah. I have so many thoughts on this. I think that what I see is if people haven't discovered, you know, I think we think of purpose like it's one thing, like it's one thing that you're going to find in life. But I feel like it's just a series of experimentations and you find things and they adjust over time. But if you don't start looking for that purpose, the way that you can contribute to the world after FI, before FI, people tend to be a bit rudderless and it's a, people do the transition much better if they have something sort of anchoring them in purpose. And that's been huge, I think, in a lot of people's transition. Uh, I'll, I'll add to that. Uh, I agree. Um, I think you need to look into it now, like today. Um, if you don't know what you're going to be doing, it's not like once you have a huge stack of cash that a light switch goes on and you know what to do now. And so a lot, I think a lot of people look at uh, a phi number or whatever it happens to be as a panacea that's going to solve a lot of their problems. And that's just not the case. Uh, I would posit that it might actually amplify a lot of the problems because now you have a lot more time to stew on things that uh, you're thinking about and trying to figure out on your own. Yeah, and I think it's a good idea to retire to something rather than from something. I I have another thought on that. So the analogy that I like to use is, you know, when you graduated high school and you were like, this is going to be great. I can have chocolate cake for breakfast, lunch and dinner is going to be great. And then you're like, oh, you know, actually that I have a stomach ache. It's actually not that great. There's some element of balance that's really that people come down to. I think they get a little wild for a while, eat a lot of chocolate cake or whatever their version of it is, and then sort of come back to a more median after they sort of experiment with that. And um, finding that purpose is part of coming back to that sort of stability point. 
Lynn, I had cheese balls and double stuffed Oreos for breakfast. Are, am I wrong there? No. no. <laughs> That's what I had for lunch. <laughs> it's a well-balanced meal to me, you know. Okay, our next question. And this one comes from Mark from Pueblo, Colorado. What are some fine notions that family or friends criticize, reject, or refuse to believe are possible? Ideas that are well accepted, but ideas that are well accepted in the fire community. For example, you can't retire before you're 65. I think that's a major one. Um, when you tell somebody, hey, you know, I'm going to stop working in my late 30s or mid 30s, they look at you and they look confused and they don't quite understand it. And uh, I, I, I just, it, the math isn't all that hard. I just don't know that a lot of people put a lot of thought into thinking against the grain. And and so they just kind of go along with the tried and true answer that is, uh, you know, Social Security starts at 65 for a reason because you're supposed to work until then. And I think it's just kind of this this acceptance that they do it without questioning. And, and I think that's the biggest fundamental flaw in a lot of that. Does anyone on the panel have strategies for like a response to provide back to family and friends? Yeah, I do. What, I think that one of the big issues is it's sort of a conceptual challenge. People can't conceptualize it. They have no experience. They don't know people who've done it. It doesn't make sense to them. And so the way that I like to describe it is living off dividends. People can conceptually sort of understand that, even though it's not technically. I mean, in, in a way, it sort of is. But that is sort of the best conceptual explanation that I've come to. Nice. And then has anyone had like those specific experiences where family and friends were telling you, hey, you're making a huge mistake. You shouldn't do this. Yeah. They, they I have didn't. Enough, yeah. <laughs> go go ahead. I, yeah. I made a mistake and I actually, I want to tell you all the things that you shouldn't do. So uh, people just have a hard time conceptualizing it. So my dad was extremely worried. And so I made the mistake of showing him our net worth. And that was very confusing for him and it didn't help um, because it's a conceptual question that's really needing to be answered rather than like a mathematical one and so I don't recommend that and I, I recommend not necessarily saying you're retiring but saying you're taking a break saying you're taking a sabbatical uh, people understand that and they don't really need to know uh, beyond that and then if you do anything else after that then it's also open playground. So I kind of wish I had left out the retire part because then everything you do is subject to that scrutiny. And if you think of life as having things that you do that cost money, things that you make money, and things that are cost neutral, if you say, I'm going to eliminate anything that could possibly make money, just like to prove a point, that's like eliminating so many options in your life. So, Right. Nice. What was his response? What was my dad's response? We just don't talk about it that much. He, we, so I took an entire year off. So my dad or my uh, husband's been a stay at home dad. That's what we call him. Cause um, he retired like eight years ago. Um, and I think, all, and all my neighbors were like, are you going to go back to work or can you watch our kids? Oh, that's another thing. So <laughs> another thing, it's very helpful if you have a thing you do. Because otherwise, you are like this vessel of receiving everybody else's needed thing. 
Because you're like capable and you know how to keep children alive. And, you know, and so you become, well, clearly they have the time. And then you have a full-time job of helping other people with their things. And that's fine for a while. But then you have 60 hours of work week with various other things that may not light you up. So I recommend having something that you anchor to. And even if you don't do it a lot, even if you say, I'm a consultant or I'm a, you know, it's something to push up against. And I found that very helpful. So I think Josh might have a unique viewpoint on this. And before I ask him, I I always find it really interesting when you tell people you're going to retire early. I found out a lot of stuff you don't find out directly, but I think one of my relatives thought I was having a midlife crisis or a mental breakdown. Another one thought I had a terminal disease and was going to die. Some of our neighbors thought we were poor because I'm working on our car. Like, no, no, I'm just FI. Like, what? But I'm curious to hear Josh's perspective because Josh just started a year sabbatical and you just – Stayed with your parents. What does your what do your family and friends have you received any feedback so far? So I, I've been talking to my parents about this for quite a while. My dad did retire about three years ago. And my mom's retiring in January coming up. So there's been a lot of retirement related conversations, and they've seen sort of the the way that I've been feeling burnout the last few years. So they get it. They they know I have the money to support myself for the next year plus, whatever it uh, ends up being. The question actually led me to a lot of the common criticism of the fire movement in general. You know, even if you have a million dollars, well, you can't live on that the rest of your life because people don't understand that that money is still invested and it's growing. It's not like just sitting in a bank and you're drawing down every day, every week, every year. So, Josh, I know you spent some time with him. If, uh, if my personal plan goes down the tubes, they must have a spare bedroom for you to sleep in. Is that open to other fiery friends like, like myself? <laughs> It would just be a short period of time, maybe six months till the S&P 500 recovers. Or... <laughs> yeah, or i got a place in Florida for you, too. Oh, cool. Awesome. should have retired like five years ago if I would have known this. All right. Before we hit the next question, I'll have to ask my lovely co-host, don't slide the mic stand. Just let it sit still. They, they can hear it. So. I'm, I'm sorry, Doug. That might have okay. been me farting, too. <laughs> just trying to cover it up. We can still smell it, man. That was All right, what's the next question? <laughs> okay, I, I will not touch the mic anymore. The next question is, oh, this one is a good one for Lynn because her background is healthcare. What are the options for healthcare in early retirement that won't break the bank? Um, move, move to Portugal and don't mm. get sick? So I'm giving a talk tomorrow about healthcare, and hopefully it'll be recorded. Will it be recorded? Maybe. It might be recorded. So... The answer to that, it depends, of course. What I do, I have a website called fihealthcare.com. It's the nation's largest crowdsourced database of healthcare options outside of traditional employment. And what most people do, so I'm able to collect all the data from what people actually do in early retirement. What most people do is they'll go on their exchange, they'll go on to healthcare.gov, and they'll take a look at their plan, and there's a huge variation in how much that costs. So I first recommend people take a look at that. A common alternative to that, which is not actually health insurance, is health sharing ministries. And I have, if you go on my website, I have the pros and cons of all 22 options for healthcare. The going to healthcare.gov is one, health sharing ministry is two, and there's like 22 more. So in summary, those are the two most common, and those are usually the two that cover the most and tend to be the most affordable. So you're that's the most complex question to try to get into like a one minute answer, but yeah. I've heard the concept of Wi-Fi 
also works because your sp- your working spouse is still carrying the family's health insurance coverage. Yeah, that's option seventeen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Pros. That's what good I do. Yeah. And uh, Carl, you do that as well. Yeah, I'm not ashamed, or maybe I am a little bit to admit that I am Wi-Fi as I stare at my wife right there. Um, yeah. It works really well. I think we're well adjusted. Good individuals. So I'm not so. I want to go as far as to say that, but I know I have good insurance due to my Wi-Fi <laughs> status. So I can't complain. Yeah, I did. That's actually a pretty common choice, and I put in there pros. You know, usually pretty good insurance because employers, on average, cover 84 percent of the cost of healthcare for their employees. Cons: your spouse have to, has to work, or maybe that's a pro. Um, it depends on your situation. Nice. And then, Ray, when you took the sabbatical, what were you guys doing for healthcare? Uh, we were rolling the dice. Um, All right. We're in Europe. We figured we could self-insure there just because the costs are, are way less. Um, yeah. And so that's what we did. When we There was a period of time when we were actually in a health share ministry for, for a period of time uh, when we were in the States and neither of us were fully employed. So we, we did go that route. And, and we went... Um, once you get a stack of, of money that's that's sizable enough, uh, I think insurance is like just for catastrophic events. It's not for like the little onesie twosies. And so we went super high deductible that would cover like if one of us got cancer or something along those lines. But any of the kind of checkups and stuff like that was all pay out of pocket. Okay. Deductible. So just keep the monthly premium down. And do any of the plans have any kind of hair replacement therapy or anything like that? <laughs> I... <laughs> You know, uh, we, uh, no. Okay. Out of, out of pocket. Not out of catastrophic. Pocket, out of pocket. Not catastrophic. It's well, a maybe. good look. It's it a looks very good. good look. It looks good on you. It looks good on me. It's good. Yeah, rub them together, I guess. Right. <laughs> All right. Next question. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> okay, then. I'm, I'm going to get ahead of this next question and state that I did not put this one in the box. And what amuses me about it... Uh, I'll show this on video. You probably can't see it, but it looked like they were going to write some deep, thoughtful question, and then they pivoted to something the exact opposite. So uh, I have strong feelings on this question, too, by the way, and it's, do you need two-ply toilet paper? I'm going I'm to answer this one first, Doug. I'm sorry, because I, I feel so strongly about this. There are some things you cannot – you're crossing the line, and yes, so yes, you cannot have – like, there's that one – what is that, that Scott toilet paper where you buy a roll and it's like 50 cents and it's got like 10,000 squares on it, but if you exert any force, your fingers will go right through it and <laughs> it'll have a, a very, very suboptimal outcome. So I would even, do they have three-ply? Whatever, Mindy, do we have three-ply toilet paper? I'm asking my wife. You just fold it, Carl. We, yeah. yeah, I guess you, but then it defeats the purpose because it's ha- half as cheap, but you're using twice as much. So does any, who can add to that? Nurses say two-ply. And I would say that was one of the benefits of work from home the past year because I didn't have to use the cheap stuff at work. I will say an auxiliary benefit to having a newborn is you get diaper wipes, which is actually a really fantastic alternative. You'll clog your plumbing there, Ray, but one thing. I rent. It's not my problem. Oh. Oh. How about a bidet? Like when I, when I was thinking of this, I've never personally used one, and it seems kind of weird they're not big in America. But COVID, right? You went to the toilet paper, and there was none. Like toilet? Did we ever have toilet paper rides? Probably not. But a bidet seems like a 
very elegant and efficient. Some of them have dryers on there where they'll dry off your nice. business too. Yeah. Don't um, get a bidet if you have a five and six year old. I've, I've heard. <laughs> That's Drinky what I've popping. just heard. <laughs> uh, that was one of my first quarantine purchases. Yes, the Tushy 2.0. Oh. <laughs> All right. Is, is that? That's really what it's called. Recommended? I mean, it, it's oh, yeah. it was great. Okay. Like I said, one of the benefits. Link for that? What's going on? <laughs> one of the benefits of work from home was I didn't have to use the cheap stuff at work. So, all right. Well, great question. Glad somebody submitted that. We're, we're covering all topics today. <laughs> Nothing you is know, out of head bounds. to toe. <laughs> have you done That's a cost? <laughs> have you done a cost benefit analysis, Josh? Like as far as what you saved from toilet paper versus what you spent on increased water usage, perhaps? Or? I certainly have not. But the okay. the benefit outweighs the cost. <laughs> okay, back to a uh, serious question. Can we? We could probably use these for toilet paper too. I don't, I don't know. Um, it's not too plug. <laughs> uh, why do you think more and more people are becoming passionate about financial independence? Uh, Ray, I think you should be the first one to answer this. You, you, you had a good career, yet you kind of gave it up, and you gave up your thirty-eight thousand uh, dollars a year. Um, bar tab, right? For, yes. For financial. Uh, yes. So you gave up a lot, Ray. Yes. Um, I think, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that there's more to life than sitting in a cube. And I think, I think it's a very, for the U S in particular, I think it's a very first world problem. It's kind of like a, like that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Where once your shelter is taken care of and your safety is taken care of, and all of a sudden you get to the top of this pyramid and everybody's looking at like, what does my life mean? What am I actually doing with myself? And, you know, when you think about it, when you look at around the world, there's a lot of people that are just looking for their next meal. So I think a lot of us are very fortunate to, to think that way. And I think it's an element of our society that we have the luxury to look around and say, hey, what's next? You know, can I be more fulfilled? Am I looking, you know, am I looking to do the right thing? Am I making, looking to make the world a better place? Uh, and I think with this generation, I think a lot of people are interested in that because a lot of us are, you know, while we're not everybody's wealthy, we're all of us are very well off, right? Like the average person in the U.S., I'm going to make this completely up, but the average person in the U.S. like has air conditioning and a microwave and these things that like were like unfathomable luxuries even a generation ago, right? And so I think along with that comes a lot of kind of internal searching. And I think that's what's going on a lot in the environment now, especially over the last year. Josh, what do you think? Lynn, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh, what was the question? I've had a little... Yeah. <laughs> so what, like, why are people into are people fire? Into yeah, maybe like, you could say why you got into why it. Why more people are into yeah. it. Specifically. Okay. So now I remember what I was going to say. So Ray actually did a great intro. I've actually thought about Maslow's hierarchy of needs where you have you know, food, clothing, and shelter, and at the top is self-actualization. And then I envision that at the top of that is like a star where it's a global actualization. I know that sounds very cheesy, but my hope is that once people get to fire, they start to look really beyond their own community and like, what are the unique things you can actually bring to the world? And now you're not tied to your income to decide what that is. And it's your living in your ikigai. And we've talked a little bit about that, which is the intersection of what you love, what you're good at, and what the world needs. I'm sorry, icky guy. It just yeah. it makes me sound. It is, when every time anybody says it here, it sounds like icky guy. Yeah, and it just it kind of makes me giggle inside every time. Can you define that for <laughs> yeah. the people that don't know? Yeah, 
It's a, I, I hope I say this right, but it's essentially translated to be the reason for waking up in the morning. I think that's sort of the direct translation. And it's really sort of what drives you. And when you are aligned in that purpose, which can be very hard to do when we are oriented toward needing to pay for our basic needs. But if you eliminate that, like folks do in the fire movement, it allows you to kind of line up your skills with what the world needs better. And so you can reach that actualization at the top. Making sense. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Another one I like a lot. What's one thing money related that you are ashamed to admit about yourself? I'm the guy that spent 12 and a half years underwater on my mortgage. It's crazy, but that's uh, as a city planner, I, I understood what was approved in the development around this property and I took a chance and then the great recession happened. So that developer lost the property to like a $94 million foreclosure. Uh, they were planning for three 30-story condo towers, but were in the flight path of the local municipal airport. The FAA held up the permits for seven years, and by that time, they'd already lost the property. That's a really compelling response. I don't have one that good. Um, I cut my own hair during the <laughs> pandemic, and that was a bridge too far for me. <laughs> yeah. I haven't been to a barber in 15 years. It makes you feel better. Mm. Yeah. There's probably a reason my hair looks like this. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I, I have no hair. Yeah. We're bald. We're bald. Yes, we're bald. Yeah. What about you, Ray? Any, any, any embarrassing things? money things? Um, at least currently, not really. Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, we all discussed our, our huge bar, bar bill earlier today, which uh, we went back and looked at Chase and noticed that we had a $38,000 uh, in the year for restaurants and bars. And I think it was pretty. I mean, it was it was pretty eye opening to to look at it and and do that. Um, and we made that that change right back when we got involved with and started recognizing and looking into the fire movement. And then for me, I'll tie it to to both of you guys. Um, I spend a lot on beer currently right now and just alcohol in general. Really enjoy it. So no no issues with that. And then I bought my first house in two thousand five and was underwater pretty quick, thought maybe I'd try to rent it out, and then I let it go into foreclosure, which was actually the best financial decision I ever made. Um, and that's probably why I'm not very into real estate now. So, mm. yeah. But do you have any uh, thing, Carl? Yeah, I'm trying to think about this. And uh, I guess one thing is just being able to evolve with money. Like when we were re real young and I was out of school, I had all kinds of debt, college loans, credit card debt, all that. So the thought of spending anything like uh, buying a burrito at the airport seemed completely ridiculous. Like, I'm not going to do that when I have all this high insurance debt. There's no way I'm going to do it. But here I am now in a, in a much better place, and I still have that same attitude. And I think you should always be thoughtful about money no matter how much you have. But there's also a value in letting go and not using your mental mind space to debate whether or not, like uh, Mindy and I were traveling and I bought – a beer at the airport for probably the first time in my life. And it, I still feel a little weird about it and a little bit horrific. I'm like, dude, it was, and it was expensive. It was ridiculous. So it was like $16 and I still feel kind of icky about it now, but I, I probably shouldn't as long as I'm not doing that 10 times a week or something like that. So it's hard to evolve and let the little things go. Old habits die hard. So I wish I could change a little bit more than I have. Nice. Okay. Our next question. What has been the biggest positive change in your life as a result of pursuing FI? And this is a two-part. So the second part is, is there 
a positive change you didn't see coming. So number one, the biggest positive change and anything you didn't see coming that's also positive. I'll say I'm a lot more confident when I was talking to employers. It allows you to be a lot more powerful in your discussion with them. Um, I, I'll give a great example. Uh, I had two jobs ago when I was negotiating my salary. I was actually unemployed at the time. And they called and they said, hey, we want to offer you, you know, X dollars. And I told them, no, I want Y dollars. And they said, well, you know, the budget is X dollars. And I said, well, that's very nice, but uh, I'm not going to leave the house for that. So you're either going to pay me what I want or I'm not coming to work for you. And they were kind of like, oh, well, oh, okay, well, then I guess we'll give you what you want, right? Like, so I think that that confidence that comes along with it is something that uh, I don't know that I necessarily anticipated when we started this journey. For me, it's less about like the financial impact and more about the community. It's amazing the the people you get in touch with and learn from and hang out with and cheer on and they cheer on your progress. Um, my very best friends in the world are, are in this community. And so it's, it's changed my life in that way. Yeah, I, I really agree with both of you. And I also want to add that I, I love following my own curiosity. I think in life, so many times we're curious about something or we might like to go do something and we just don't have the time to follow that curiosity. And it's really amazing when you actually do what can happen. These things that you don't even imagine could be possible, but there's no time to follow that curiosity. So I would agree with both of you and then add that element. So one of the tough things is, well, I was really lucky. I worked remotely for most of my career. So I was doing a lot of the same kind of things you could do when you're home all the time anyway. So that was huge. And I'm still, I mean, I can still do that, but you can have a leisurely breakfast any day of the week. Right. <laughs> and I like to go on long walks in the morning and just take my time, you know? So, I mean, I think that's a huge benefit for so, me personally. So let me ask you this, Doug, you're, you're an entrepreneur, you run your own company. Does the fact that you have enough money to support yourself without your entrepreneurial salary, and I don't know your finance, I'm just making this assumption, does that change the dynamic of how you run your company? Like, does it make it so you're not constantly pressing and you can um, concentrate on things and do things slightly differently that you're not constantly looking for the most profit or anything like that? Yes, in theory, but as a busybody, like a lot of us are, I still end up pushing myself a, a little bit too much. And then I realize, oh, I don't have to do that. So in the last year, I've really tried to eliminate anything I don't like doing and either delegate it or just not do it. So I can make decisions not based on money, which is like the basis of a lot of the things that we're saying. So it doesn't matter if I could earn a lot from that, if it's boring or not fun, I'm just not going to do it anymore. Good question. What about you, Carl? Yeah, I'll, I'll answer this too. There was uh, so right, right when I discovered FI, I went to the Ecuador Chautauqua in 2017, and I met Jim Collins' wife. And shortly after that, I met another uh, person named Bill, who have since both become my friends. But uh, they told me something a couple years after I met him, and that, and both of them told me this independently. I don't think they even know each other, but they said, "Carl, you're a different person than." you were when I met you. You're a lot more confident. You seem like you're better adjusted. And all of that came out of people I met along the way who encouraged me to challenge myself in different ways. Uh, I hadn't public, I hadn't given a speech in public since college. And uh, 
someone from CSU, Colorado State University, asked me if I wanted to speak at there. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to, but I should do it. And I remember my leg was shaking driving up there because I was so nervous about giving a speech in public. It just terrified me probably more than most people. And now it doesn't phase me so much anymore. Public speaking is one part of it, but I'm a more confident, better, well-adjusted person. I'm not terrified of you all like I would have been. Still slightly terrified, maybe still of you, Doug, a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm a better person, and all that personal growth has been a result of Phi. I'm confident I would not have changed if I would have not discovered Phi and still had my job and not met the certain people who encouraged me to change and improve. So. Here's a quick word from our sponsor, thanks to the Economy Conference. The Economy Conference, and that's spelled E-C-O-N-O-M-E. I'm not good at spelling out loud, so just bear with me. Well, it has roots in the FIRE movement. It's going to be awesome this year. Carl's actually going to be speaking, so that'll be pretty fun. And you may wonder, why attend an event about financial freedom when you can educate yourself online or listen to podcasts like this one? Well, community matters very much, and when you decide to take an unconventional path, you may need a little support. Economy gives you the opportunity to surround yourself with an engaged community of people who are doing incredible things with their finances. Whether you're well on your way to financial independence or still struggling with debt, or maybe you're a student and you're about to launch your career, Economy is a great place to uh, meet other people and get more involved in the FIRE community. And actually, we talked to Diana Merriam back in episode 14. Now, I haven't personally met her yet, not in person, and I thought we were actually going to meet at Camp Phi, but she had some travel issues and she actually did her presentation remotely, which was pretty amazing. There were no technical issues and she did a great job. So I'm looking forward to checking out Economy in November. And I'm actually just about to uh, book my tickets. And I'll tell you the dates right now, November 13th and 14th, 2021. You can save, uh, I think, 10%. You can save some amount if you use the coupon code in the show notes here. So thanks a lot to Diana and the Economy Conference. Okay, next question. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self and also your future self? Josh, I think you are like 20 years old, right? Or? No, uh, almost double 20. Okay. Buy Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Buy Apple. <laughs> Just simple, simple stuff. You know, what comes to mind is, um, I don't know if I should tell myself this. Maybe if I was like 26. So, Lynn, you're going to have a brain tumor, but it's actually going to be absolutely okay. You're going to learn so much from it. It's going to make you a different person. It's going to make you look at life completely differently. And ultimately, it'll make your life better. And it'll be hard to believe that, but it's true. Wow. Now I feel like a jerk. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I just couldn't come up with anything better. That's just all. And buy Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> and Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yeah. In several years, something called Bitcoin is going to come out because I'm, <laughs> I'm older than that. So I, I think Doug is actually coming out with his own coin. When does Doug coin? You, Doug's going to have an 
I think it's an ICO, right? An initial coin offering that's coming up later this year, right? I and heard about that Dougie coin, yeah. right? It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Keep an eye out. Keep an eye out for it. Carl, do you have any anything here? Uh, yeah, I do have one. And this kind of builds on what I said before. Uh, and this is advice I would give to my younger self. And that's is even if you aren't confident, act like you are because people act differently to you and they respect you more and you're treated different. So, yeah, if you're if you don't have confidence, act like you do it. That in itself will make you have confidence because you'll see how people treat you. So, yeah, that's it. And these questions are always tough because I really like where I'm sitting right now. And if I told myself something about Amazon, yeah. well, I definitely wouldn't be sitting sitting here. So, yeah, I probably I probably wouldn't give any good advice. Maybe just be confident. I'll just steal yours. Yeah, I don't know. It's okay, Doug. Doug's done everything perfectly. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else? Good. All right. Okay. What's one thing you have to spend money on that you wished you did not? Insurance. Yeah. Healthcare. Health insurance. <laughs> it's the worst. Pretty unanimous. Oh, yeah. I've got a different one. It's auto repairs for me because I could do it myself, but I hate it so much that I pay the auto repair place. And it's like, what does it cost now? Like 130 bucks an hour to yeah. work on your car? So. The simple stuff like brakes, I'll be in the driveway doing it. My kids learn a bunch of new colorful metaphors when I'm out there screaming and yelling. But, uh, yeah, taking my car to be repaired, that drives me nuts. Insurance is a close second, though. I would say also building materials. I don't think you guys know about this about me, but we do a lot of DIY, like jacking up our own house, drywall, crawling in the crawl space to replace the vapor barrier. Uh, and right now, the price of materials is crazy. So that's tangentially related. Yeah. Okay. I, I have to preface this one with, again, that I did not I did not see the box. Someone else put this one in there. I think I know who did this, and I won't call anyone out, but they had said they had heard this somewhere else. And I've never heard this somewhere else, but I can imagine being on some other Maybe lesser podcast than us, Doug, but I'm going to mm. go for We're it. We're spending a lot of time defending this question. <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would you rather be attacked by one horse-sized duck or 20 duck-sized horses? <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's a tough one. Let's go with the small ones. I know there's 20 of them, but... Uh, I, uh, Horse-sized duck is frightening. <laughs> yeah, ducks at their current size are nasty. I don't know that I want to deal with a massive one. But those would be horses. Twenty no, uh, duck-sized horse duck. I don't want to deal with that. No, that's the yeah, that's the. Big I don't one. want to deal with the big one. The, the, the ducks are nasty as they are right now. I don't need one right. that size. I'm okay. gonna disagree with that. If you go after a very large duck, they've got very narrow little legs. All you got to do is take out one of the legs, and you're good. Yeah, but that be well, poor Donald. <laughs> no horses Donald or ducks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ray. Huh? Yeah, that's. It's an that's important. That's really question. a hard one. Yeah, I think the, I, I think the the smaller horses. I'm not a horse person, really, but a lot of people like them, and they say they're nice. <laughs> so. But I think they have like so horses have like kind of small mouse they i mean not small mouse but they they bite but if you miniaturize it it won't be able to like bite you much and they probably can't kick really hard if they're that small 
Yeah, I wasn't expecting this question, so I'm not really prepared for it. And massive ducks. I mean, that beak would really have some leverage behind it. Oh, that's true. That's and true. the wings, I mean, they knock you on your butt. It could fly, too. I didn't yeah, even I, think about that. Dive bomb you and sit on you? Next question, Come on. Carl. Yeah, all right. Yeah, what's up next? That's a different podcast. <laughs> Uh, okay, so just when you thought things couldn't get any uh, worse, uh, they do. <laughs> and this one is addressed directly to me, and I know it's not my wife's handwriting. And I don't even know what this word means, actually, which is probably a reflection on my FI or lazy status. So. It says, Carl, what are your thoughts on manscaping? What, what, is, what is manscaping? <laughs> I, I imagine this is some insult, which is oh, fine. I can say. <laughs> Would you care to explain no, it? No, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Let's uh, let's Google it. Do a little image search. Yeah, do an image search on that. Yeah, mowing the lawn. Well, go ahead. It's directly at you. Directly at you, Carl. Don't look at me. (laughs) Maybe maybe Mindy should answer this one. Um, The the honest thought on it is I I don't care about it, and I've actually. Uh, so I'm probably going to get uh, attacked by Mindy, but I've asked her her thoughts on this topic because I don't know if something could make her happy. I'll do it, but she doesn't care either. So uh, I don't care. But now I'm glad I know what that word means. Don't say you don't learn a new word on the uh, Mile High Five podcast. But Carl, if you turn the mailbox like, looks bigger. I I just went into my own little world. <laughs> I, what did you say? I said if you trim the lawn, the mailbox looks bigger. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. I need so. all the help I can get. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Wow, do you uh, do you manscape your waffle or <laughs> whatever you do, don't Google like manscaping and waffles. I'll guarantee you that. That's a thing. Somebody get that domain. I think that's uh... Manscaped Waffles? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Would you rather be attacked by twenty manscaped dugs or a full size <laughs> normal dug not manscaped? <laughs> Well, there's a whole, there's a company. It's like Manscaped. Is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that could be a sponsor for us, especially if we keep talking about it. So, well, not the way you've tried to sell it. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think we we have a great before and after coming I don't know up. That we so. want pictures of that. <laughs> <laughs> how, how are we going to sell these? Okay. What's the next question? <laughs> uh, Josh remains uh, smartly quiet. On that one. <laughs> I'm trying to breathe. <laughs> I farted. I'm sorry, Josh. That's <laughs> okay. At what point do you rebalance your individual stock? Um, well, I'm gonna put my reading glasses back on. Old holdings. age. At, yeah, holdings. Um, say you can. Say you own XYZ stock, or AKA Tesla. You bought it low. It has risen exponentially and now comprises an outside, outsized portion of your net worth. You still believe in the company, but don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. Um, you don't want your portfolio to pull an Enron. Mm. I, I would just say I think that's a personal decision, and if you believe in it, let it ride. And if you don't, then pull some money off the table. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say that. I mean, they say you build wealth through concentration and you maintain wealth through diversification, right? And so um, if you believe in it and you truly, truly believe in it, have at it. I am not an individual stock holder, but I've also heard that you never go broke taking profits. So you could take some off the table become more diversified, as Ray said, um, win-win. Yeah, and I would say, for some actual numbers, I would say something like 
less than 5% if you're not very risk tolerant, maybe up to 10% if you're more risk tolerant. It's really what are you prepared to lose is really the question. Because I think if you have an individual stock that is a potential, it can go to zero. So what are you okay with losing? And that's a really individual question. Yeah, so I think this question probably is directed to me again. We bought Tesla in August of 2012, and I think it was $5.78 a share. Now it's like $700, I think. And uh, I still believe in it, so we're holding on to it. But the other thing, when you said it perfectly, it would, if it went to zero, it would not change our course of action. So there's a lot of potential for upside and no downside, even if it, the worst-case scenario happens. So we hold it. But, yeah, very personal. Uh, do what allows you to sleep at night. Yep. I'll second that. Okay. This next question uh, might be the best one ever. There's nothing on it, so I'm not sure what that means. Uh, <laughs> okay. They don't want to hear from us. <laughs> I guess so. Maybe it's a cue to shut Free up. for all. Do you want to ask us your own? Uh, Dealer's no. choice. Um, okay. So we have two more. I'm going to save the big thoughtful one for last. Um, mm. What's something other people with their money? What's something other people do with their money that drives you nuts? Well, I'll, I'll jump in. I don't really care what other people are doing, so I don't think I pay too much attention. And if it bothered me, I'd probably just try and shrug, shrug it off, you know? So I just live in my own bubble. <laughs> <laughs> I'll second that. Uh, money is such a personal thing. It's none of my business what you do with your money. I can have an opinion, but it really doesn't matter, right? So while what they've said is true, one thing that does bother me is like when people buy brand new cars and then they buy another brand new car in two years and then they buy another brand new car. If you had just waited and bought that car from the guy who sold it after two years, you'd get it for like half price and you still get the enjoyment of almost a brand new car. Uh, I know that was part of Joel from 5180's story and um, you know he was originally the guy that bought the car every two years and then he switched to the other guy and really made progress with his finances. So. Uh, for me, it's unwillingness unwillingness to spend money on certain things. Like, uh, for example, the Camp, Camp FI right here, I was trying to sell someone on it. And they were like, well, I don't really want to pay $450 to go to this thing. And I'm like, well, every one of these I've gone to has been uh, well worth it. I've met friends that I'll talk to for life. I've never been to one of these things that I haven't made a lifetime friend. Many of these people, uh, just last week, we had two people stay over at our house who were people I met on financial independence-related events that if I just look at it from a monetary standpoint, I'll recover my money just by being able to stay in their spare bedroom. But having friends in a great community is uh, priceless. I remember debating whether or not to go to the Chautauqua, but the people I met there are the people who encouraged me to. I talked a little bit about my increased confidence and it's directly from that. So while I was hesitant about paying 2500 it was worth 50 times that for personal growth and for lifetime happiness. Okay, the final question. Um, if you could do one thing differently with your FI journey, what would it be? Josh, you want to take that one? Well, I think the obvious is, of course, to start sooner. Um, I was kind of your typical 20-something and didn't necessarily spend everything I made, but I really wasn't saving a whole lot. And that really came back to bite me when during the Great Recession, I lost my job. My house was underwater on the mortgage. Um, I didn't have options. I had to move back in with mom and dad for a couple of years just because there were no jobs in my field, in my area. And I had to reduce costs as much as possible. And the only really option I had for that was to move in with mom and dad. So if I had started sooner and had money, both an emergency fund and, and you know taxable brokerage accounts and things like that, I think I would have had a totally different journey. 
I wouldn't have cut my own hair. <laughs> I mean, that's all I, that's, I mean, I think that's sort of analogous for like, there's a few things that you try and you're like, Ooh, that's too far. That's too frugal for me. It doesn't feel good. And sometimes you have to try that out to know what it is, but sometimes you try it out a little too long. And, uh, you know, I think I, I wish I would have paid closer to attention to that because just because other people find that to be a good decision in their journey doesn't mean it's good for yours. Doug, I think I know what yours is. Is it, is it the Mr. Money Mustache tattoo you got on your butt when you were a little bit inebriated a couple <laughs> years back? Or? I don't, I, uh, what, were you implying that I would regret that or that I should have gotten it sooner? I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> It was the way you did the tattoo, the Mr. <laughs> Money Mustache. You've got three M's, but the middle M's kind of hard to see. I, I don't know. Personally, I would not have. Well, you need to manscape. Maintenance <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> for the rest of your life. Though. I'm not that hairy of a person. <laughs> anyway. I couldn't, I, couldn't really, I couldn't pass that up. Somebody's got to say that. This episode brought to you by Manscaped and the Lawnmower 3.0. <laughs> uh, do, you have, do you have anything, Ray? I, You're thinking hard. Yeah, I, I, I really am. And, you know, like, I. I, I think about it, and I know I said the stuff in jest, but but Doug, I, I have to, I have to kind of echo what you said earlier. That's if I would have done it differently, I wouldn't be sitting here, right? And like, could I have done things differently? Yeah, but then I wouldn't be here doing this, and I wouldn't have got to meet you guys, and I wouldn't, have, you know, like, and so I, I I don't know, I I don't know that I would change anything, honestly. I mean, could I have started earlier? Yeah, but then again, everything changes, right? And so I, I don't know, and. You know, our life is pretty good. So why exactly do I want to change it? Yeah. Good answer. All right. Yeah, I guess mine is I thought financial independence was binary. I had to accumulate this huge sum of money. And then after that, I'd be happy and could retire. And that was ridiculous because even though life is better, uh, it didn't necessarily lead to more happiness. So I wish I would have taken off the pedal and maybe gone part-time or taken sabbaticals or even if it would have taken a bit longer to live to life a little bit more in the meantime, instead of just hard charging to this big silly number. Very good. So that's um, that's all our questions. Yeah, I think that's it. Doug. All right. Anybody well, in the audience want to ask a live question? Anyone? While they're thinking, anyone on the panel have questions for each other while we're just hanging out here? Come on. Obviously, I'm on my journey. What would be like a good way to go about planning to factor them in since I would be the only one responsible enough to take that on? And I'm sure it's inevitable. Can you repeat the yeah, question? Yeah, so we should repeat the question. So she asked, her parents are spend money like it's water. They are not F, are on the FI journey. And is your concern having to take care of her or what is your concern? So her concern is... How does she reconcile? Because she's on the FI journey. Uh, how does she reconcile that? Maybe your parents will need help, or what do do your parents know about your situation? Or yeah, so so just to re reiterate, she's worried that her parents are not saving. She is, and how does she factor this into her finances? Maybe life as well. I have some thoughts. I haven't shared this on this podcast, but I'm a hospice nurse, and so I look a lot at you know, planning and um, care in the later stages. One tactical thought is long-term care insurance. And the sweet spot for buying that is between 55 and 60 for most folks. It can be difficult because they under 
estimated how much it would cost in payouts. And so the premiums are pretty hefty. That's one tactical thought. But the biggest one really is to talk with them. Maybe some alcohol if they do that. No, they don't do that. Oh, you've talked to... Okay. And it's... Okay. So she's talked to them. Okay. And so I would say talking to them about long-term care insurance, which will hedge a lot of those um, theoretically spikes in expenses that could happen where the care would either fall on you physically or financially, potentially. I think I think we'll default to you on that. I mean, as a hospice nurse, I feel like you know your stuff. So Yeah. Do you guys want to – so when folks get older in general, um, if they have a qualifying hospital event, they will often qualify for home health care, which is nurses who come to the home. Uh, hospice, if they're end of life in the last six months, Medicare pays for hospice. Medicare also pays for home health. Medicare will also pay for – sniff stays after a qualifying hospitalization, just for those in the audience who don't, don't really understand what Medicare does. Medicare on average covers expenses for about 80% of costs. It doesn't tend to cover hearing, vision, you know, hearing aids, dental. Um, but 80% is, is helpful. It's, it's better than what a lot of folks have. But yeah, those are some sort of tactical and sort of understanding the healthcare landscape as folks age. Anybody have a question that's not such a downer? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, it depends on how you look at it, but this is a broad question. But what would your biggest piece of advice be for the next consideration of people in the buying movement? So the question was, what is your biggest piece of, piece of advice for the next generation of people in the FI movement? I'll take that one first. And I think it's um, find what you value. And and value that and kind of let everything else fall away. I, I know it's a little redundant for the folks here, but um, you have to live your life. You can't make a myopic goal of amassing a large amount of money and do everything that you can to get there because here we go down the dark rabbit hole again. But like there's a chance that you might not get there. Right. So like so live your life. Um and, and, and that doesn't mean YOLO and throw it all in the wind, but that does mean like find what you're interested in and it means find what you value and do it and do it along the way. Because if you're not happy, just another comma on your bank account will not make you happy. I can guarantee it. So find that along your way and do that and fulfill yourself along the way. That's what I would say. Because like it's funny because this five thing, everybody gets so wrapped up around the money and the money is really the easy part. It's really, really the easy part because it's just nuts and bolts. You just you just block and tackle and do it. And everybody's done it. And there's books about it and blogs about it and everything else. The hard part is really understanding and like what happens afterwards. Um, and, a, and that's, I mean, a lot of us are dealing with it. And so that, I think if I were to tell somebody that's 15 or 16 years old that's starting this, start figuring out what you want to do with yourself, exploring things, you know, like find your passions. Do that because the money will take care of itself if you take a few simple steps at the beginning. I'll be a little bit of a broken record here, but to start earlier, we've all seen the compound interest charts. A dollar at 15 is worth a heck of a lot more than a dollar at 60. You know, it, it, it's going to have all those different times to double if following the rule of 72. You would be set very early in life. You would reach your Coast Five number very early if you just start early and, and put that relatively small amount of money away and it's going to take care of you. 
Yeah, I, I have a thought. It's really about mindset, and it really goes along with what Ray said. Is So there's a, a friend that I have that I'm working with right now who wanted to take a year off. She could not conceptualize how that could be humanly possible to travel around the world. And so we set it up. We set a date. We set a plan. We set a trajectory. And so every buying decision is going up against her traveling around the world. And so it doesn't feel like deprivation. It feels like a choice between this or that. And I think so often we can't understand what the trade-offs are because we don't have a clear view of how they actually trade off. But if you set a goal, like what Ray was saying, is get clear with what you really want, set your orientation for that, and see what trade-off you're making, it's less deprivation and more focus on what you prioritize. Uh, the one thing I would say is uh, I think life has changed. When I was growing up, uh, what people would do, like my parents, is you'd, you'd go to college if you went to college. You'd start a career at 22. You'd work till you're 62 or 72, maybe for the same company the whole time, and then quit, go to Florida. Sorry, Josh. Um, buy a watch or get your gold watch and then die on the golf course or whatever people did. But now it's mm -hmm. different. It's it's the gig economy. And I remember when I was in college, they said, don't ever have a gap on your resume because that's a negative thing. You'll have to explain what you did, and they'll, they'll think uh, – Something bad was going on in your life. But now it's different. A lot of companies appreciate that you take a gap year because you were in Ecuador on a medical mission or doing something else for self-growth. So I'd say, and I think you like math, as if I remember right. But uh, I think this is super cool because it changes how you think about life. You don't have to be – what you start out doing isn't going to be maybe what you're doing in 10 years. It's a lot easier to pivot and you can embrace this new flexibility and – it's, it's the gig economy. Some people might think it's bad because we're not tied to employers, but I think it's great. I think uh, not having a tight coupling to your employer is wonderful and allows you for a lot more options and the ability to take time off and pivot in life if uh, what, what you're doing now isn't floating your boat anymore. So, yeah, don't be afraid to change uh, mid-career. I went to school for biology and chemistry, and I never did that in my life, and now I'm not even doing what I did in my life anymore. So, I mean, it's good. I'm happier for it. So the question is, what is unique about going financially independent in Colorado and are there advantages? Is there uniqueness? What is good about financial independence in Colorado? Don't have to worry about hurricanes. That's what I have to deal with in Florida. Well, I think um, there's just a, a great community. I live in Longmont as well with, you know, Carl lives there. Pete lives there, Mr. Money Mustache. There's a couple other like bloggers in the area, right? So, and I accidentally moved there and just happened to live close by. So it was accidental and just kind of random. So well, what do you have to add, Carl? Yeah, I think Colorado acts as a giant filter because, for example, we moved here because we wanted the outdoor lifestyle. We wanted to ride bikes and be outside and, and do all that stuff. And a lot of other people move here for that same reason. So you probably have a lot more in common with the people around you if that's your reason for being here and i think that's part of why doug and i enjoy it uh, yeah there is an fi like longmont might be the uh mecca of fi i don't know it's uh 
I think the most important part, the most important thing you should concentrate on in FI is community. Community is everything. And uh, it's easy to, it's much easier to do that in any part of the country due to the internet. You could find your local Choose FI group and go to one of those and meet friends. But in Colorado, it's probably a little bit easier because of the Mr. Money Mustache presence. And just knowing him, there's lots of people who move to Longmont because he's there. They don't have to work and they discover him and they get the idea to move to Longmont too. And there's probably a degree of inflation in Longmont just due to him. Like there's probably. <laughs> it's strange. Yeah, driving up the home prices. Yeah. It's crazy. The Mr. Money Mustache Inflation Indicator or something like that. It's <laughs> one of those financial calculators. I also, I wanted to mention we are in Colorado, so there might be a little selection bias of how many people in Colorado might be here. So when we met in Seattle, uh, people asked a similar question. So um, just to acknowledge, we have a huge population in Seattle and tons of different cities. So to encourage folks in whatever city you're in that there's probably a robust community in, in most major metropolitan areas. Good point. Good point. Any other questions out there? Yes. Uh, do you think you should proactively sell the fire movement to friends and family that might not be familiar, or should you only sort of describe the benefits if they ask questions? Oh, this is a good one. So the question is, should you proactively sell the fire movement to friends and family, or should you wait for them to come to you? This is kind of the question um, when they uh, – when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. But you try to get ahead of that. You try to sell to people. I know what my experiences are, but how about I, the rest of the panel? I would say no because you can tell them as much as you want, and it's like talking to a wall if, if they aren't interested. Um, so I would say once their curiosity is peaked, you can start talking about it. Fortunately or unfortunately in our culture, like talking about money is very taboo. And so even bringing it up, people just get uncomfortable. Even if it's not like super personal stuff, people just get uncomfortable. So um, and uncomfortable situations, depending on how close you are with the relationship or what have you, uncomfortable conversations can, and for lack of a better word, be uncomfortable. Um, and so I, unless people are ready for it and looking for it, you're going to cause problems, I think. Yeah, I haven't found it to be an effective use of energy, honestly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I was going to – I was thinking about it. I haven't talked to my uh, sisters or my family really much about anything at all. You know, they don't ask, and I'm, I'm like the weird child. I'm a middle child, you know, a little weird, moved out here. So what do you think, Josh? No, I mean, I think it – it's a dangerous move to uh, be proactive about it. You're going to introduce jealousy and envy where there doesn't need to be. Yeah, I think my experience is that I've actually caused people to go in the other direction. I told one friend about it, and he looked at me all strange, and then he went on about like this $120,000 Porsche fancy thing, which is cool. He let me drive it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he was uh, so horrified by my lifestyle, he pivoted in the other direction. So, so would you say that's effective or not effective? Yeah. <laughs> I'm effective okay. in supporting the consumer culture. Oh, yeah. You got the drive a Porsche, didn't he? Yeah, you got a Porsche. Okay. Crop okay. up our stocks. Have you ridden a Tesla? I, I have. I do want a Tesla, but I've been able to resist the temptation. A Model 3? Um, I've driven them. Yeah, I'd probably get the Model Y, but mm. but not, not yet. I'd, it's so silly because we walk or 
bike everywhere. We need like 0.5 cars in our life, and we have two of them now. So we we need a Tesla like we need a, I don't know what we need, a hole in the head or whatever the cliche is. But yeah, if you would like to buy me one, then I would. Uh, mm. my, my birthday's coming up soon. Oh, yeah, I was wondering, like, Porsche or Tesla, what should I get Carl? I just met him, so that'll. It's okay. I feel like we've known each other our whole life. Like my husband's that. name is Carl. Yes, yeah, see? he cooks better. Sorry, <laughs> oh. he, he's a chef. I don't know how you cook, but it's oh, pretty hard. Yeah, I'm horrible. Funny you mentioned that. There's a slide in my presentation tomorrow that demonstrates Mindy uh, showing how good or not good my cooking is. Let me cue you in. It's not good. Mm. <laughs> but I would still take the Tesla from no me. Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe manager. Anything else? Any other questions? Any questions in the panel? Question comment. All right. Well, we always forget to tell people to sign up for the email list, but sign up for the email list, milehighfi.club, so you can join the Mile High Fi Club. That's <laughs> perfect name. It's a reference to the altitude, Mr. Waffle. I don't know what you're thinking of. I, why are you picking on me? I, you're the one with the manscaping issue. Hey, you were just talking about rabbit holes. I don't know if that was an illusion or something else, but uh, if, you, if you take care of that rabbit hole, everything else will follow. <laughs> and on that note. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think we just end it. Just fade, fade out. Fade to black. Kill it before it gets worse. Just press the button. Just press the button.